not here this morning. However, we have the opportunity to hear from a, a missionary who has been here before and uh, is a missionary to Papua New Guinea, and that is uh, Jordan Barrett. He is here with his family, and uh, he is going to bring the word to us today. So after he preaches, be sure to greet him and, and greet his family. But Jordan, if you'd come this time. Good morning. It's hard to believe it's been four, yeah, close to four months since we were here last. And we walked in, there were five of us, and coming back this morning, there's six. So Owen Dennis, the newest addition to our family, was born on September 11th. And kind of a funny story, a close friend of mine was getting married, and he asked me to officiate his wedding, and they ended up changing the date, and it was too close to around the time we were expecting Owen to come, so I told him, I probably, uh, this probably isn't going to work out, and it happened that he, Owen was born on his wedding, uh, wedding, so their anniversary and Owen's birthday are the same day, so I do have a PowerPoint up here, there we go. So this morning, I, I thought it fitting, since we're approaching the Christmas season, to uh, focus on this theme of joy, uh, maybe more aptly, the joy of the Lord. And it's a theme we see throughout Scripture. And it's, it's something that I, this past, I would say past few months, God has been just challenging me on, is uh, not really challenging me on, but te- I would say teaching me about uh, this idea of experiencing the joy of the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to uh, just be ready to turn. I do have the scriptures up on the screen so you can follow along with me as I go. As I began preparing for this message, I quickly realized that in order to preach a message on joy, I have to tackle some other themes that go along with joy, such as peace, Uh, suffering, because it's in these circumstances that often the joy of the Lord is experienced with opposition, right? So we're going to start out by looking at some passages in the, oh, this isn't working. Maybe it worked back there. I guess when I do this, just, uh, (laughs) <laughs> so First Chronicles 16.27, the context, David is uh, bringing the ark back to Jerusalem, and he is just praising the Lord, and he declares this about God. He says, majestic splendor emanates from him. He is the source of joy and strength. And so God is the source of joy. Even not, not so much, he is the source of the joy that we're going to talk about today, but he's also the source of uh, the short-lived joy that people experience, even unbelievers, right? The rain falls on the just and unjust. God is the giver of joy, but there is a joy that he gives that uh, is not like the world gives, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, got some other passages here. So Israel... When they disobeyed the Lord, they turned to idolatry after Solomon 
eventually God brought them to a country that wasn't their own, to Babylon, right? They went into exile, and they were not experiencing the joy of the Lord. But God eventually brings them back to the promised land, and they're seeking God, they're seeking to worship him, and they begin opening the books of the law and reading and seeking to obey the festivals and the commands that the Lord had given them. And so we see here, as they're doing this, uh, they're, they're doing it with joy, and that God is actually giving them joy. Oh, that's the first one. It's okay. So we're just going to kind of quickly go through these. Uh, so the, the shelters, when the, the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, or booths, when they would remember when God brought them out of Egypt, they were commemorating the Lord's deliverance. And it was in their obedience to do this uh, that they experienced joy. And, and God, uh, he talks with Israel, you know, previous to this about not celebrating these festivals, not doing this, right? And they were being disobedient. And here they are filled with joy as they're obedient to God. Uh, I love this one, the children and women rejoicing. And I just picture myself coming home with some uh, small gifts from the dollar store and my kids are rejoicing. Oh, so excited, right? But the children are even rejoicing. It's exciting. I need to get more excited. This is, this is a joy sermon, right? And this is one of my favorite ones, and I'm sure you're familiar with this. So they are, the people are gathered together, and this is when Nehemiah returns, and he's uh, encouraging the people to build the wall, right? To rebuild the wall and fix the damage that was done. And and they're facing opposition from Samaria and from uh, other enemies surrounding them to, you know, the, trying to keep them from doing this work. And they're, I believe in the context, they're celebrating the, the Feast of Lights. And this was a joyous occasion. And as the books of the law are being read, the people uh, hearing the law and, and hearing, you know, seeing their sin and their shortcomings are weeping and they're mourning. But it wasn't consistent with what this festival or what this feast was, was meant to commemorate, right? Which is God's grace, his deliverance. And so it's from this that the leaders in Ezra and Nehemiah say, don't weep. This is a holy day to the Lord, but uh, be, celebrate, be filled with joy, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the word for strength in the Hebrew is uh, it means mountain rampart or refuge. And sometimes when we read this, uh, we don't... I, I, when I first read this, I didn't get that. I ended up checking my uh, work with some resources. I was like, oh, that's interesting. The joy of the Lord is my refuge, right? My strength. How is it that it is my refuge and strength? Well, in the context, think about these people, right? They're facing opposition to this work. They're discouraged, and so they're reminded that the joy of the Lord is their strength. They're reflecting on God's past deliverances. They're reflecting on his grace and his forgiveness. 
And that's what's going to protect them against not only, you know, the physical opposition they were facing, but even spiritual opposition. And so the people go and they prepare delicacies and they share with the poor, right? And, and they do this because they understood the word that was preached to them. They respond in joy. And I think a good corollary to this is in Romans 5, 1 and 2, uh, where we can experience that joy as we reflect on God's deliverance, right? Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access into this grace in which we stand, right? We've obtained access into this grace in which we, have, we stand, which is being declared righteous by faith. And we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. This, the word for hope is, it's not hope like we use it, right? When we say, I hope for something, there's usually a little bit of doubtfulness, right? This might not happen, but I'm hoping this will happen, this outcome. Whereas biblical hope is confident hope. It's, this will happen, right? I mean, we, we operate that way. We, we usually, um, things we, we depend on and we know this, this happens consistently, but it may not, right? Whereas God when he says he's going to do something, he does it. And so we can have confident hope. And I think we can experience the joy of the Lord in that. So just that was some brief Old Testament passages where we see the joy of the Lord. And now we're going to look at uh, the New Testament. And one of my favorite passages where we see this come up is in John 15, 9 through 11. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my, my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So we're going to uh, just kind of look at the preceding verses. I'm going to summarize what Jesus is talking about, uh, because it, it builds up to this, this statement on joy, and I think it's important for us to see the development here. Like, how is it that what he has said ties in with joy? So first, God is like a gardener, right? He uses that illustration uh, that he's pruning. And when you're pruning, you're removing dead growth, because when the nutrients are coming up through the roots to uh, feed the branches, and eventually produce fruit, right? If there's dead growth, it's going to try to go into that dead growth, right? So it's almost like a hose. If you have a, uh, a splitter, the water pressure decreases, right? But if you take it down to one, it's, it's much stronger. So taking away this dead growth allows for the life, ultimately, that's coming from Christ to go to the new growth, right? We are new creations in Christ. So that's verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. And then, you are clean because of the word spoken to you, right? Uh, the word being the gospel, right? They had the advantage of being with the word of God, being with Christ. 
And we just read in Romans 5, 1 through 5, right? It's, that is, is what's being talked about. In 1 John uh, chapter 3, John actually alludes to this, right? He says, what are the commands of Christ but to believe on the name of the Son and then to love others? I am the vine. What a great illustration, right? Uh, if a branch isn't into the, you know, if it's not uh, abiding in the, in the vine, which is the source of nutrients, it's not going to thrive. It's not going to produce fruit. And how do we abide in Christ? He says, right, abide in my words. And if you abide in, in my words, right, that is, is how we will be effective because the words of Christ, right, that's part of, Paul talks about the transforming of our minds. And if we're not in the word, that's not going to happen, right? It's going to be slowed, that process. And then abiding in prayer. When we recognize our neediness and we come to God and say, hey, I am lacking. I, I see this, this in my own life or somebody else's, right? We have the opportunity to, to lift others up in prayer and say, hey, I, I'm, I need your help. I, I, I don't understand this. Can you clarify this as we're reading and, and seeking to apply his word in our lives? So in this process, God is glorified. And I just picture a parent, right, whose children are grown up and they're independent. And uh, as parents, we want to see our children thriving. We want to see them independent. But at the same time, if they need our help and they come to us, those, those of you who are older parents, you enjoy that, right? You miss having that, your, your kids, maybe you don't. I see somebody shaking their head. Ah. All right, well, we live in a broken world. So, uh, but there is an aspect of, yeah, I want to be able to help my kid. I can agree with that. My small, small children coming to me constantly, Daddy, I need help. No, you don't. You can do that. So, Now, you probably noticed this when you've read this, but there seems to be a link between joy, experiencing this joy, and love or loving others, right? It seems pretty obvious. So uh, look at how many times love comes up here. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you obey my commandments... You will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remained, remain in his love. So Jesus, just as he was commanded by the Father to go and love his disciples, to lay his life down for them and for, for us, he is asked, he's saying, remain in my love by um, showing that same love to each other. Verse 11, I have told you these things so that my love or that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So our joy is lacking, right? God is, God's joy is not lacking. God's joy is perfect. God is perfect in every way. And so because our joy is lacking, he's saying, if you do these things, your joy may be complete. And knowing what we, we just... Uh, talked about, right? Joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength, my refuge.
some, something I find helpful uh, is just, if, if you don't understand the Gospel of John, go to his letter and read, especially with this passage, read chapter 3, 18 through 21. And he clarifies what the commandments of God are, right? But I'm going to read uh, 18 through 21 because I, I think there's some really important stuff here. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but with deed and truth. And by this, we will know that we are of the truth. And we will convince our conscience in his presence. That if our conscience condemns us, then God is greater than our conscience and knows all things. Dear friends, if our conscience does not condemn us, then we have confidence in the presence of God. So go, go back for a minute. It's interesting. So John doesn't use the term terms that you know God is everywhere at the same time. But I think of this when I read verse uh, verse eighteen here. Right? Let's let us not love with word or tongue, but in deed and truth. God is everywhere at the same time. He knows all things. He knows our hearts. Right? So let us not do this out of pretense or to be seen, but in deed and truth. And by this, we will know that we are in the truth. We will convince our conscience in his presence, right? Because our, we have this thing called a conscience. And as John's going to mention, uh, he talks about prayer, that we have confidence that what we ask will be given to us, right? Have you ever tried praying when you've sinned? Have you been in the wrong? You know it. And you're like, oh, I just, I feel horrible. I can't pray right now. This is for our sakes, as we're in a relationship with God, for, for fruitfulness, for our peace, for our joy. He's telling us, this is very practical, by the way. This, this is for us to, to say, hey, you know, like, if I do, if I walk in the truth, then I'm going to experience a greater relationship with God. But if I'm not, I'm going to struggle. Dear friends, if our conscience does not condemn us, then we have confidence in the presence of God. But above, uh, in verse 20, he says, if our conscience condemns us, which it, it will, then God is greater, right? He knows all things. And so I'll skip to verse 23 here. And... Now, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he gave us this commandment. So, we can't do the second, right, to love one another until we do the first. We can't do the second the way God would have us do it, because we're, we, we need Christ, right? We need him first, and then we can do the second. And the person who keeps this commandment resides in God, and God in him. So, that's what Jesus is talking about back in... Uh, John 15, remain in my love, and you remain in my love by loving others. And that is, I tell you this, so that you might experience joy. So abiding in obedience is how I put it here. Abiding in Christ by being in his word. And I put not a checklist necessity because 
we sometimes you'll hear a message like this and feel guilty and, and like, ah, yeah, I don't read. And you know what? I'll be honest. I, I have days where I, I don't. I don't read. I'm not in the Word. But what I find is that I, my thinking and tends to shift back to more fleshly, right? I'm not abiding in the vine, and so I'm not able to be as effective. God wants us to be uh, functioning as he created us to function, just as Adam and Eve were originally created perfect, right? Until they sinned. He wants, that's why Christ came, so that we would have life and life more abundantly. And the only way to do that is to abide in his words. And then abiding through prayer. These are all relational. We don't think of them as relational, I think, right? But I would liken being in the word of God as, as hearing God speak to me. And prayer is the same, but it's also us being able to communicate with the Lord. And then obeying his commands, which is abiding in his love so that we can love others, right? Obeying his commands Abiding, we have to abide in his love or abide in him to be able to love others is what I should have put there. And that is basically the basis of why, why Jesus said, I told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may not be lacking but be complete. Are there barriers to this? Uh, are experiencing the joy of the Lord? Are there barriers? The biggest one is, is us. We are the biggest barrier to experiencing the joy of the Lord. I'm trying to think of a great example on the fly here. So I had a fishing trip planned way in advance. And last minute, Emily comes and says, hey, there's this video uh, called To the Ends of the Earth by... Aviation Missionary Fellowship. It looks great. It looks like it would be something that would encourage our hearts and help us with speaking at churches. Basically, she didn't say it in those words, but essentially that's... So I watched the, the trailer, and I was, my heart was gripped. I was like, yeah, this would be really good. This would be really good to watch. But I had this fishing trip planned. I really wanted to go, but if I went that night, I would miss this showing. So I was like... This, this is, that's way more important than me going fishing, right? But, and it's, it's kind of a silly example, but I, I decided not to go fishing. I decided to go, and I was, so, I, was, I was very glad I went to see the ends of the earth. And it's things like that, obedience, right? When you have, a, a, you, you have something planned and, and somebody comes or, you know, and asks for help, right? And it's a situation where you have an opportunity to show love to somebody or do what you want to do. You could say, hey, I, I'm sorry, I have, I'm, I have plans, right? So the, but when you are obedient, you experience that joy. I'm glad I did this. The Spirit's at work in our hearts, and, and it's, nothing can compare to that. Envy, jealousy. And these scripture verses, I'll... I'll Leave this up here in case anyone's taking notes. Uh, selfishness. Complaining. I think that's a big one, right? We, we like, we're so, 
we have good ways of, of complaining and kind of hiding it and shrouding it in uh, sarcasm. And then unthankfulness. And in each of these, these scripture passages, there is an antidote to this problem, right? So in Philippians 2, 11 through 14, praising God, thanking him, thankfulness, right? Uh, I would say that's the same for 4, 4 through 7. Those will basically eradicate complaining and unthankfulness in our hearts. Those are good scriptures. And in 4, 4 through 7, joy isn't used, but the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Joy and peace often go together, I find. In Galatians, Paul says to counter the works of the flesh, right, um, to, to walk in the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is jo- love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions, and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. So there you see like the jealousy, um, envy. <laughs> we are not, you know, experiencing the, the joy of the Lord when we're, there's inner t- turmoil going on. So timeless principles. God is still the giver of joy. So when joyous occasions happen, praise him, thank him. We experience, we can experience that joy even more by abiding in Christ so that we can obey, right? We need his, his assistance through the Holy Spirit living in us, and we need to approach his word in neediness, in humble dependence, hey, I, I need you. And God usually meets us on, on the other end. Uh, biblical joy is our strength, it's our refuge, it's our protection against a... Uh, God's enemy, right, against our consciences. Um, Obviously, if we have sin that we need to deal with, we need to deal with it, but uh, sometimes we just have our conscience is just, we can't experience peace and joy, and so we need to, we need that. And then this joy can be experienced through suffering, it's, it's this quality, I think, that stands out to the world the most, right? How is it that you, they'll say, how is it that you, you're going through the same thing as me, and you're content, you're, you're at peace, you're happy? I want that. And the, again, the greatest barrier is us. We stand in the way of this. And so... How do we apply, how do we apply, um, ref, you know, focusing on this theme of biblical joy, how, how do we apply what we've
talked about this morning. Um, I hesitate sometimes to give applications because there's, there's usually one interpretation, but there's many applications. And each of you is at a different place in life than me. But some possible applications would be, um, am I abiding in Christ's love? Walking in the Spirit? Or am I walking in the flesh and being a barrier to experiencing the joy of the Lord? Am I seeking empty alternatives? Right? Idolatry. Are, are you looking for other things to bring you joy? I think that's the biggest one we, we all struggle with. But God is the true joy giver, right? All those other things will leave us feeling quite empty. And then, I put this in last night. Joy is not our focus, right? I, I feel like I probably could have worked on, on making this a point throughout the message, but joy is not our focus. We're not doing these things to experience joy. God is our focus. As we're pursuing him and the things that uh, are priorities to him, right, then we experience the joy of the Lord. Making God the priority. Uh, and then the joy is, is a fruit that flows from that, from being obedient, from doing the things that he would have us do. Uh, as we're approaching the Christmas season, I uh, just want to remind you, uh, maybe there's some people out there, Christmas, like this this time of year, isn't always a joyous occasion, right? For some people, it's, it's a very hard time because they've lost family and friends. And so, just be mindful of that as you go out uh, and encourage, encourage those who need encouragement. All right, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for giving us your truth and your words so that we can reflect on your character, on who you are. Lord, I thank you that we are, you have brought us into a relationship with you. Lord, you're not opposed to us experiencing joy even in this life, Lord, but you've actually given us an ability to be, to have a stronghold through our difficulties, through our, the challenges and, and trials that you use in our lives, Lord, to produce um, a work that only you can produce. And so we thank you. We thank you for the season that we celebrate your birth and your coming into the world, your incarna incarnation, Lord, you became one of us. You did what we could not do. You lived a perfect, sinless life in order that we might be delivered from sin. Lord, you, your, your death on the cross paid the debt that we owed to you, that we couldn't pay. And then your life, Lord, coming back to life, that, that resurrection power is in us, and we praise you for that. And we look forward to that confident hope that we have in your return when we will see you and become like you with glorified bodies. No more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt. Lord, we look forward to that. We thank you for our friends and our family. Lord, for all the good things. Lord, you are a good gift giver, and we just praise you this morning. I pray that you would be with each and every one here, that you would uh, just, your spirit would um, encourage them to, to do the things that you would have them do, Lord, to see their, their life, their jobs, their, their home as an opportunity to do things of eternal value. The problem is we think we have to do really big things in order to please you, and, 
And really, sometimes it's just washing the dishes with a good attitude or taking out the garbage, uh, helping our wives and our children, Lord, with, with a good attitude. That, this is the testing ground. And yet we, have, we forget that this is an opportunity to, to do things of eternal value. And I just praise you this morning. You are a good God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.